with Andy Ray Reptiles. This is Riley Jennison with Riley's Reptiles. And you are listening to the Reptile Room Podcast. And welcome to episode five. Yeah. We are <laughs> we are gonna be talking about uh, high maintenance and low maintenance animals tonight. And before we get into all that, um, we're gonna try to catch up a little bit. It's been uh, a little bit since we since Riley and I connected and recorded together last episode Riley had a chance to knock that out of the park by himself he feels like he didn't though so <laughs> what's up with that what's up with your opinion on how you're feeling like it was a crappy show has that so far it's doing really well well I don't know I mean anybody who just sits there and talks to themselves probably doesn't feel great about it if it wasn't the plan so it's just you know I mean the circumstances made me feel like it was it was never going to be what we wanted it to be right and that's just how it goes that's just you know that's life that's rolling through a podcast that's keeping reptiles that's whatever you want to project that sort of scenario on but uh i don't know i guess i'm like uber self-conscious about it and uh <laughs> i just great, i man well i just i you know i want to i want to put out good stuff i don't want anybody to feel like they're listening to garbage and i know we've had uh like some volume issues that we're still troubleshooting yeah. and, and hopefully um, y'all are listening to this with uh, the appropriate volume. Um, we've sort of got a, a heading on that. Uh, it's just, you know, the, the growing pains of a new podcast. It is what it is. So we appreciate everyone who's sending the feedback and saying like, Hey, I was listening to it on, uh, on Bluetooth in my car and the audio was low or, audio was good through these headphones but you know when i tried to finish it at home on you know the computer it wasn't so it it helps us sort of narrow down like where we need to fine-tune it so yeah um you know we're super appreciative of all the feedback but i don't know i guess when i get to a point where i'm like talking about myself it just feels (laughs) awkward and part of it is because of the whole carbers the coffee thing that i did for 50 episodes of talking to myself um, which is what morphed into this entire podcast. Yeah. Um, because I felt like it's just, it's just not enough. Like it can be beneficial, but like when you're listening to it, you're like, man, it, it would be so much better if there was another person. <laughs> Thanks for the guilt trip. <laughs> no, no, no. I just mean it in terms of like how much more it would add on like exponentially, yeah, no. like the 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 second layer of uh, perspective and oh, yeah. insight it's not a it's not a dig at all because just listening to anybody talk about how they keep or their experiences is beneficial i mean um everybody has something to offer so even in a, a one-sided conversation you could still pick out beneficial stuff right but um yeah both bouncing ideas off of each other and, and just that having that having that conversation with somebody just helped guide even your own opinions or, or could even alter oh, your opinion in a, in a, you know, in a good way. So no, yeah, I, I get what you're saying, man. definitely. Cause like the, the back and forth banter, like uh, it's a great demonstration of that sort of thought process. Um, so it's just, you know, the whole point of the, the show is like, we, we really want to put out good stuff. It's a little bit different from the other shows, but you know, every show, regardless of the format has its own flavor and uh, yeah, it is what it is, you know. We'll look back on this in a couple of years and laugh about it, and barely remember it anyway. So who cares? Yeah. Well, we're and speaking of the volume issues, um, you know, I just want to say thanks also, like Riley said to everybody that's been giving us the feedback. So we got to figure figure out, um, yeah, whatever technical issue it is that's going on. 
on the either the export side or the website side of things. Um, just bear with us, folks, and, and we'll get it figured out. Uh, hopefully, hopefully this episode is not an issue, and then we'll get it we'll get it all dialed in. Um, what I'm hoping is is to probably publish this episode, Riley, and then we'll do a test or something like that, and make sure that it's that it's up and running. So since we're we're recording relatively early before the next published date, right? Uh, yeah, whenever next Wednesday. Next is. Wednesday is right. Yeah, so we got we got a few days there. So anyway, yeah, two days. Yeah, <laughs> I no no next Wednesday, right? When did when did we? Yeah, you just re- yeah you just recorded, you just recorded and 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 published uh last week on Wednesday. So we have until the twenty sixth. So we're good. We we got time. You are correct. So today this this will be publishing on the twenty sixth. You are correct. Okay. Yes. Good. That makes me feel a whole lot better. <laughs> so, so everybody, uh, episode five. This is today is February twenty sixth. In case you're wondering. <laughs> cool. We're in the future. I like it. Um. Yeah, man. So, what what's been going on on your end? What have you been up to? Not, uh, not too much. I hold on one second. Um. Well, I, I shouldn't say not too much because actually life's been crazy, busy. Uh, trying to manage the the new position and the new time. Basically, it's like you know, I I, I used to have a, a a set schedule, and uh, I mean I still for the most part do, but anything can come up at any moment. So like the, the one day, a couple days we were planning on trying to record, and then I couldn't because I had to stay late. Um, so trying to overcome some of that stuff is, uh, has been a little challenging, especially with family life too. And then also taking on new classes right now. So, I mean, time has been just a little bit nutty trying to, uh, trying to balance it all, I guess, you know, is, is, has been a, a bit of a, a bit of a stretch and then trying to take care of the collection and preparing for, you know, getting these guys out of brumation. Um, I was going to do it this weekend and I decided, you know, I just had too much stuff, other stuff going on that, um, I mean, it's not really that big a deal. I wasn't going to turn on any heat. It was just transferring animals. But, um, throughout this the rest of the week is, is, is my plan for Rosie's and the King snakes to start transitioning them back into the snake room and then slowly heating them up and start feeding them. We've had a few warm days like this past week. It's winter has been like really weird. Um, not as many storms as I was hoping. Hopefully we'll have some spring storms, man. Cause I could really, I could really use that, the benefit of those pressure right. drops to help with, with the breeding, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it has been a little bit unseasonally, uh, dry. Well, yeah, warm. super dry and warm. Yeah. All my yeah. humidity readings are like way too low for what I need. And, my humidifier is running dry much faster yep. than it normally does. And I'm having to miss things down. Yeah. It's definitely, uh, it's interesting. It's a little bit different, more challenging, but I yeah, guess I, that, that kind of comes with the winter, right? Though, like, Yeah. I mean, there's been some super cold nights. I mean, and, but it just, it, it like totally has this weird brumation temps during the day. Like, I mean, I'm just getting way warmer than I'd like. Uh, yeah, but yeah, my humidity that. has been so bad. I've had a few bad sheds on some of the babies that aren't brumating and just trying to catch that and switching them over to a different bedding or 
or like you said, just trying to catch it in time so I can spray them down. And yeah, um, but yeah, it's it's been it's been a and all while doing that, I've been trying to finish up the insulation in here, and it's just it's like one one thing leads to another, and it's like I, I I'm still like at the same place I was like two weeks ago in terms of getting it done, and so that's a little frustrating. Um, but yeah, yeah, I mean it's. I, I just I gotta I have to remember that's like with everything um, with everything else that that's going on, I just have to pace myself and not get too stressed out and and just do what I can. Um, but yeah, no, other than that, I mean it's uh, life is good, man. Life is good. That's good. That's important. That's what it be. So let's get to, into the meat of this, man. That's low maintenance and high maintenance. This is a bit, this is a good one. This came up early on on our list of topics, um, mm-hmm. just because of the fact that I mean, both you and I have some low maintenance animals. That I don't know for some reason, people think like carpets, for, for instance, or Morelia in general are these high maintenance animals, and they're really not. Um, yeah, they're the I, animals I worry about the least. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And and it's funny how, how I've talked to a few people at shows and they're like, oh, I don't know if I can take care of it. I think a ball python's harder to take care of than than a Morelia. I mean, in my opinion, it just having to worry way more about humidity, in my opinion, like with a ball python versus, you know, even a, a jungle or a coastal. Um, but uh, so what are what do you think? in terms of for this episode, should we talk about like, I mean, the, the list is, I mean, we could, there's so many animals that we could talk about. Sure. Low maintenance. I mean, ball Python is low maintenance. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I feel like we can sort of dice into kind of like what's, what's common, what, what most, most people are sort of experiencing and, and maybe extrapolate onto some tertiary species as far as like, you know, we could get into what's pretty common and then sort of, uh, jump in as far as like, Oh yeah. And that, you know, this translates to a few other species. Like for me, there's sort of a, a basic Python husbandry, a basic boa husbandry, and then a basic colubrid husbandry. And then within some of those really niche species that are, a little bit more specialized within those groups, then you sort of hit some of these outliers and extremes as far as seasonal drops or uh, ambient humidity or temperature extremes that maybe the bulk of the other animals wouldn't experience. Um, So, you know, when we talk about uh, low maintenance versus high maintenance, what we're really getting into is like, how much work you're going to be putting into these animals. Like, are you going to need to spend several hours in your snake room or in that enclosure or uh, paying attention to whatever that is in order to keep things going? Or is it one of those um, species that you can sort of, you know, dial it in, set up a basic parameter and then come up with a routine? So yeah. you're, this is the amount of work you're going to put in, right? Yeah, so, exactly. so like if you got, regardless of the size of your collection, because you can sort of take this basic footprint and, uh, and map it out exponentially based on how many animals you have, but the amount of work you're going to put in. So for each animal, uh, 
you know, how much does that daily allotment tally up to? Do you need to change their water daily? Can you get away with doing it every other day or even less frequently? How much do they need to eat? How frequently do you need to, based on how challenging or not their husbandry parameters are, do you need to be managing their life cycle and tinkering with things? Can you automate any of this? Um, you know, what is, what does that mean? Do they go to the bathroom every day? Do they need cleaning daily or is it once a week or even less? You know, snake keepers are spoiled because our animals don't need <laughs> yeah. to eat every day and they don't go to the bathroom yeah. every day. But like certain lizards or frog keepers like dar frogs do those things poop and eat every day. So, yeah. and it's a whole nother level of care because on top of, you know, maintaining the animals, you need to think about what you're doing for food. You can't just get frozen thawed dar frog food. You have to culture fruit flies and have a whole cycle and think ahead of time and your supply is important. And those animals have a high metabolism. So there's a lot of that. And so you can really like, I mean, let's be real. There's, there's thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of reptiles and amphibians and vertebrates on the planet. We could literally talk ourselves to death yeah. about like each species or taxa or group trying to categorize them. So I think kind of going into some, some main trains of thought as far as like how you can approach like, uh, you know, what you're going to maintain in your household and have success and think about what, what that means for you or what's feasible. And I think, you know, everybody has their flavor of what they like and what they don't like. And ultimately, you know, you should only work with what you like, but within that you should only work with what's realistic because at the end of the day, if it's not realistic, the animal is the one being slighted. Yeah. And so, I, I think also do, to take into consideration, so for people that are new to keeping too, that don't know, like even though we might mention an animal that's low maintenance, let's say a king snake, right? Mm-hmm. I would consider a king snake a low maintenance animal. They're really hardy. They're really easy to care for. Mm-hmm. Now, here's the thing, though. They have a higher metabolism and they want to eat more, which means what? They're going to poop more. Poop more. So, and if it's not within your routine or if you don't have the time to do that uh, and then you start acquiring more and more animals and you can't quite keep up with the care and it's like one of those things where you say yeah you know what maybe this animal isn't for me i think it was um justin and jacob that that were having that topic um i want to say maybe last year um where they were talking about like if it's if if it's just not the animal for you it's like it's okay make that decision and, and move on you know let let somebody else have that animal or, you know, if you need to sell it, whatever, mm-hmm. so that if you know that it doesn't work within your routine and your lifestyle, uh, don't feel guilty about it. Just do move on now versus waiting till something happens, mm-hmm. um, to the animal. And I think learning early on in terms of what a high maintenance animal, even for, a newish keeper, I, I would never recommend a high maintenance animal to a new keeper. Um, right. Although there are, I mean, I, I, it, that's a tough one. That's a tough call because there are, you know, a lot of intelligent people out there that could, that could really dedicate their time to it. And I think that's, it, that's the, the biggest thing, as you said, the amount of work on a daily basis or not. If it's a high maintenance animal, probably nine times out of 10, it's going to require daily care. 
if you have right. automation, if you have your misting systems, or if you have other things that that do kind of some of this work for you, then yeah, maybe you don't have to check on them daily. I mean, you should get in the habit of doing that anyway. But um, yeah, I think if we come up with a with with a general good general list of some low maintenance animals and some high maintenance animals, popularity wise, I think if we can touch on a few of those, I think it'll it'll captivate or capture the the minds of, of newer keepers and also advanced keepers that, you know, are either have one of many, like I, I think of Ed Marino, he's got tons of emerald tree boas. I consider that a high maintenance animal, but he's able to manage a larger collection of those animals because he's got that routine down. He's got it figured out. He knows what they need, when they need it and how they need it. Uh, whereas I have never kept an emerald tree bow, even though that's probably my number one animal. That's like my, that's my, my main goal. I don't want one until I know with 100% certainty that I can dedicate X amount of time to it every single day. And I'm not at that point in my life right now. I sure. can't do that. Yeah. You know, and it's like, there's no reason for me to invest in an animal like that unless I know that I am going to succeed. And, and if I'm feeling like I'm not going to, Hey, it's better to just, wait yeah so the first the first step is admitting what your limits are right yeah 100 percent. yeah so that's that's kind of the the last thing that any new keeper thinks about unfortunately and that's not that's not to to point a finger anyway that's just you know that's a result of the excitement of of reptiles yep. right that that is it comes what it with is. experience too right yeah with experience i mean it takes a while to figure out what your limit is yeah, trial and error. So ultimately, like there's different ways to break it all down. You can look at how much time you have in the day, how much work you're willing to put in, and then you can also break it down into, um, you know, what's feasible as far as the climate. So before we like start getting all sorts of crazy with it, um, <laughs> the, the cleaning, right? So that's the first yeah. thing because most people are going to experience that and that's either going to be their make it or break it speed bump of the amount of cleaning or not is what's going to either keep you with the species or drive you away. So, uh, on one of, yeah, so yeah, exactly. So colubrids, geckos, frogs, like those animals yeah. that eat frequently and poop equally as frequently or more. So those are going to be the animals that test your routine whether you're on top of it and the way you're going to know you're doing well is your animals are healthy and enclosures are clean your room yep. doesn't smell the way you're going to know you're failing is your animals are covered in poop and there's poop everywhere and it stinks and then you have infections and weird nastiness some of that is kind of you know property of working with animals you're you know by virtue of working with animals you're going to deal with infections or viruses or yeah. disease or whatever that's just how it goes but like excessive bacteria and feces and things like that is a sheer sign of somebody being in over their heads or not devoting the amount of amount the right amount of time to cleaning and that's you know there's nothing to be ashamed of in that um but just you, you know you need to remember that the only ones that really truly suffer are the animals so if you can't keep up with an adequate cleaning regimen for the species you're working with, probably not a species for you. Um, yeah. Animals that need, you know, constant hydration. Um, you know, I would say amphibians and frogs and certain species of like white lip python and 
it's uh rainbow boas rain yeah like these animals need fresh water and they'll die with without it and desiccation is a real thing so do you have access to reverse osmosis water or filtered water or reconstituted reverse osmosis water things that are sort of a little more delicate um and and you know we could literally take each of those words and make a whole episode out of them so if oh yeah have, if you have questions about those just hold them because we do have those on our list to, to bring up in the future as far as like um you know water quality and things like that and how it pertains to amphibians and, and proper husbandry and whatnot but we're, we're just gonna like throw these out there for everybody to start thinking about you know um we can unpack this a lot further than we're going to tonight and the reason being is because we don't want to like throw out an encyclopedia per episode um, <laughs> as much as reptile people are, are built for that um, so then you get into the next things of of your environment which is lighting um, whether you need it or not how does it pertain to your heating elements or not does an animal need UVB or not? UVA? Are you running plants in there? Do you need plant lights? Um, are you doing bioactive? Do you need stuff that benefits them? Um, based on the species you're keeping, do you need certain heat requirements and can you incorporate that into efficient lighting where you combine your UVB and your heat into a single fixture um, because ultimately your resources are finite and that includes your electric bill. So there's a yeah. lot of, there's a lot of things in there and then food like I don't keep gar frogs at home I would love to I would love to do a like a nice planted live tank that has life that calls and chirps and does all that because I really enjoy hearing it at work you know what keeps me from doing it is fruit flies and pinheads because as yeah. much as I am well versed on maintaining and ordering and keeping that up to supply, I do not have the space. I do not have the time uh, to do that at home feasibly, and yeah. and and I just it's not it's not in the cards for me personally. Um, so those are those are very important things you need to think about because that you know as far as the husbandry of the animals you would like to keep ideally really need to think about what is and isn't feasible and it comes down to a lot of different variables like that yeah definitely uh you know the thing i'm, I'm glad you mentioned the dart frogs because um man I, that's the one thing that i was so bummed about moving departments was that i had my dart frogs right there on my desk and it was so enjoyable every day you know just being able to just kind of zone out and brainstorm whatever i was working on and and just kind of looking into my dart frog enclosure and 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 just enjoying that vivarium for so many years there and bringing it home although it's like okay cool i get to have it home but i'm gone all day yeah and it's already been a challenge for me because now they're having to adjust to my schedule normally they wouldn't be eating until at least two to three hours after the lights have been on you know that it's starting to heat up a little bit in, inside the office area. The, the enclosure starting to heat up with the lights, etc. And so now I'm I'm leaving before the sun's out. So I'm having to adjust their light cycle to to try to hopefully get them wake up. You know, woken up enough before I have to leave. Again, just there's so many different things that happen in people's lives. That you have to take into consideration. I and I'm and I'm very close to to saying, okay, are they suffering because of this change are they doing okay i mean they seem to be doing okay but like the last thing i'd want to do is 
they don't look stressed, thankfully. Um, but it's like if they do did start looking stressed, do I need to make that call? And I think that as as keepers, we always have to be prepared to say, okay, what's in their best interest? You know, is am I am I going to be able to keep them happy in my current lifestyle change? And sure, um, you know, and that's what sucks. Is just like you just like you said, it's like dart frogs are so much fun man they're they're amazing to keep and and have um but you want to be able to enjoy them you know that's like you know if you're gone before the sun's up and you get back and the sun's down their active time's over (laughs) so yeah it's that's that's a tough one yeah like i would love to uh i would love to dip into um some true Australian frill dragons. I really love. Oh working. yeah, I love frillies, man. I, I I just they're amazing, and uh, I know how active they are and how big they get and how much space they utilize on a daily basis. And if I were to commit to even a baby, I would know that that would pretty much rule out at least half of my snake room, which is just not a very yeah. smart long term goal if it means whittling out some projects that I also have long-term goals with. So, you know, as much as I would love to get some baby frillies, I really can't realistically say that I will have the space or be willing to commit the space to adults, given everything else I'm working with. Um, And you're already having to make adjustments now with your, with your Apodora, right? So exactly. Yeah. Like looking ahead in two or three years from Mm -hmm. now, I mean, your, your Mm -hmm. collection or your space that you have now is it's going to be an entirely different landscape in terms of what you have now versus what you need to do to prepare for that enclosure or that animal or pair Mm -hmm. of or trio of. Yeah. And and I've, I've gotten rid of, uh, uh two entire species this far since picking that animal up like i've i've basically cut off uh the production of that and and reduce the numbers to the point where i won't have uh them at all and and it's not because i don't have room for them now it's because i'm thinking five to ten years down the line what's really important to me um and and knowing that like okay the the room that i'm in right now has finite cage space and finite real estate and these animals that i held back from last year you know how long is it going to take for them to require enclosures in that side of the room where that rack is full do i need to start thinking ahead of time and being uh you know ordering more um enclosures and if i do that what does that do for the animals that are in this area and does that push them in here and so then i start thinking like okay in two years time i'm gonna have to either sell off x amount of babies from this rack or i'm gonna have to surplus some of these adults and these adults mean a lot to me and i don't want to do that but these babies mean a lot to me too so where am i so there's a lot of things you got to think about um and sometimes you know, we have to, that can resi- be really tough. It is because <laughs> you really have tough, to resist yeah. the urge to fill these cages, fill these racks, yeah. fill this square footage. Like sometimes it's good to have open space because that means you have room to grow and, and everybody goes through these growing pains, right? Like, you know, when you find the hobby, you get into it and you dive deep because you're so excited and maybe you've got a little money and maybe you've got a closet or an extra bedroom. And next thing you know, you've got 20 snakes and like it's been six <laughs> months. You know what I mean? <laughs> 
<laughs> I do know what you mean. It yeah. still happens. It still happens to all of us, man. <laughs> oh, dude. Yeah. No, it really does. Like when when my friend locally hits me up and goes, "Hey, uh, there's a guy who's giving away a pair of uh, speckled rattlesnakes that produce blue babies." I'm like, "Oh, oh." Oh God, don't, don't, I do need, I do need those. I need those. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's not good because uh, the, well, and then, yeah, ah, that's a whole nother ball game, but, um, you know, and then you start, so say, say you have this focus and you've, you finally dug in your pockets and realized where your direction goes, you, you get what you want and then you find out you live in a desert or it gets dry in the winter and your species of choice needs high humidity. Yeah. That's a lot. It's a lot more work. Yeah. It's a lot more work to meet that animal's requirements. Yeah. That's awful. Like that's a, or that, that just all we were talking that, about with winter. Yeah. Just the humidity. Of, yeah. Yeah. All of a sudden that animal that you thought was low maintenance because of every other article that's been published on them, all of a sudden, because of where you live, yep, that animal is very high maintenance that's a that's a great that's a great point um i didn't really cons- I, I mean looking at what we were going to discuss um and i and i read just that environmental challenge with the dry climate mm-hmm. it's it's funny because i didn't think about even in in my area where i would consider a, our my area um it's it's not it doesn't have a lot of extremes you know we're if we're generally speaking um it's a, it's a pretty neutral, you know, uh, climate. I don't have to worry too much, but this particular winter, which is weird compared to like last winter, mm-hmm. way less humidity in my room this mm-hmm. year than I had, than I had to fight with last year. And so it's like having to deal having to deal with stuck sheds and, and, um, that drier environment for the, there's a few animals in here that like they're not happy. They didn't like, they don't like the winter time. And I'm like in here every day, spraying them, giving them extra water in the bedding, changing the bedding out to something that'll hold humidity. Um, And then there's other animals. They're like, well, whatever, we don't care. It's fine. Rosies particularly, you know, which is great for them. They like it dry. Sure. Um, So they're doing, they're doing phenomenal. They're, you know, they're like, yes, no less humidity. We love it. Um, Yeah. That's, that's a good point. Um, I'm trying to think of an example of an animal that, uh, you know, a ball, let's a ball Python. So I have some mm-hmm. ball pythons in this room because they're my, they're my sons. And we do have one that we use for educational purposes, bad shed, uh, back in January. And so I was like, okay, time to switch out the bedding, you know, soak it up a little bit. And then a couple weeks later, boom, kind of go through another shed cycle. Um, and everything's fine. Mm-hmm. I think it's just important for people to realize as soon as you start seeing those, you, you have to be proactive and take care of it. Then don't wait um, and go like, Oh, it'll be okay. Oh, yeah. it'll be fine. Um, if you, you got to catch those, those things ahead of time. Like I should have thought of say, you know what? I should probably change that bedding out. Um, and it's no longer, you know, the summer and spring let's put in some, you know, cocoa bedding in there and that'll hold, retain a little more humidity and, sure. um, you know, doing things before is always an important thing, but 
sometimes like you said, we just, we, we get caught up with life and we get caught up with things and we forget. Well, yeah. And it's different because especially for folks who are just getting into keeping reptiles, it's not like a dog or a cat where they just, you know, all you're worrying about is cleanliness and, and feeding and exercise, right? Uh, and yeah. security with, with reptiles, you're, you're sort of required to mimic, a, a microclimate for them. Um, because chances are you don't live where they're from. So, um, it's, it's a little bit different. There's like a whole nother layer of, of thinking and it is challenging. It's really difficult. Um, even if you are prepared and thinking the right way, sometimes it's just too much of an obstacle based on where you live. And that's, there's no shame in admitting that you just have to like really think about it. Like, okay, it gets 115, uh, during the day here, this time of year. So I need a nice HVAC system, um, or it gets freezing cold here. I need a heating system plus a backup, a fail safe, or, um, you know, based on how many windows are in this room, I need to you know, seal one or two off and run a humidifier. Like there's a lot that goes into it. And that kind of comes down to like reading the rhythm of your, of your room. And, and that is not something that can be taught per se. Um, you can, you can study the concepts of relative humidity and, uh, moisture content in the air and fresh water and ambient humidity and ambient temperature and basking spots versus thermal regulation and cool spots and and then the air pockets that a room creates naturally based on you know does the sun hit that wall at a certain time of day or how much ventilation does it get like it's kind of overwhelming when you start going down that list and and i don't want to discourage people i want people to to be excited about the challenge of really understanding your animals better because then you dial them in and they, you know, give that back to you. Right. Um, yeah. They shed perfectly. They look beautiful. They eat, they're healthy, you know, they do all these things and, and it's like feedback that you're doing them, you know, uh, uh, you're doing them a service. You're doing them well. They're, they're, they're thriving in your care. And uh, something else to, to take into consideration is like, you know, this day and age, we have so much technology available to us that there's now, you know, sensors that you can put, um, like there's the sensor pusher. I think it's Mm -hmm. one of, one of them that's called, I personally, Mm -hmm. I use, uh, I use EcoWit, um, and their Wi-Fi based, uh, it's a thermostat system and like a, it's a temperature humidity sensors. Um, I can test my soils, but I, so it helps build for me uh, a picture of what's happening in my room at any point during the day. And I'm recording data um, 24 seven in different scenarios. I can be recording the outside temperature, you know, outside on one wall, if I wanted to do that, or if I can, I can throw in sensors into a specific enclosure mm-hmm. um, and map different, different data points like that. Now for people that like to get into that kind of stuff, you know, go for it, do it. Um, it's not too much of, of, of an investment and it's going to really help you build a better picture of what's going on when you're away from home. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if, uh, if it's something that, that, that you're like, uh, you know, 
don't want to get too too you know you don't want to dive too deep into the technology side of things then you you want to go towards exactly what riley was mentioning and observing those animals at different times of the day to see what they're doing and see how they look you know see how um their scales are looking see how they're moving you know take them out you know or they put them out in the sun you're you're gonna see really well um their scales in the sun and see that health of the animal um and learning learning their behaviors you'll know right away hey this guy's looking a little lethargic something something's not right he's not handling you know the handleability of an animal as well uh i had an animal that um the oldest carpet i had he was always a firecracker hated being handled and basically like almost like the last nine months of his life he just kind of just became more and more lethargic wasn't happy you know he was he had an old life you know it's fine um, but that's one of those things that you can start figuring out like, Oh, something's not right. You know, something's yeah. not something, something is off. And the only way to know that is, is having that interaction with those animals and, and being in tune, um, you know, with their environment and technology can help. It can also get you a little overwhelmed as well, though. That's yeah. There's something to be said sure. for being complacent and, and overwhelmed as well. Like you can rely yeah. too much on it or you can just yeah. decide to bow out. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting to think about, like, in my opinion, I feel like, uh, a good collection within your manageable size range for whatever your situation is, is something that you can, uh, get an eye on those animals at least once a day. Um, if you can, you know, reduce the stress on those animals that don't like having, uh, you know, daily checks, but still monitor them on a daily basis through, cameras or temperature and humidity probes which is at least make sure the environment is acceptable you can still have that peace of mind i definitely have like gone through the ups and downs of my routines and figured out like okay this is too much these animals are stressing up on me checking on on them this much and this is too little and i'm finding that they're going to the bathroom and i'm not catching messes as much so you figure out what that is and your so, mad hogs are a good example of that yeah they in terms they of stress the breeding, out, right yeah, yeah they, they stress out a lot when i'm too much in their face for sure yeah i need to let them be i need to let them make a little bit of a mess flip hides poop a few times before i clean it you know what i mean like that's what they need and then when i go in there maybe two three times a week change their water, pick up any mess, pull sheds out. They just kind of watch me. You know, they're just like, man, we're not going to trust you, but we're not like flinging your eights out the door, going full Cobra on your ass, anything like that, you know? And when I was checking them twice a day, they just lost their minds. They were batty. Um, So that was like the first thing. Again, student of the servant, understanding your room. It's all very important. Um, But you know, like right now, what I'm finding out is I lived in Santa Barbara for 11 years and I had no humidity issues. And then I came up here, Sacramento, and every winter I had mm. a little bit of humidity issues, not a ton. I got to spray the yeah. pre a little bit more. I got to keep the humidifier a little bit more filled. But um, if you have a, a collection that is manageable for what your free time allows, you yeah. can keep an eye on that. And then you can sort of make sure everything's going well and if you pay attention to what's going on it'll tell you you're either on track or you need to put in a little more effort in one way or another so uh, yeah 
And then that's when you start seeing like those cater categorizations. Sorry, <laughs> that was a tough one. Categorizations of animals being like beginners, intermediate, and advanced. And yeah. And depending on who's publishing that paper or who you're talking to, they have different opinions. So for me, I I wouldn't say a ball python is necessarily the best flat across the board beginner python because or snake in general. I agree. Because they have feeding issues sometimes and they do need more community than most people will allude to. Um, and I don't understand why it's become so commonplace for people to say that it's a great beginner animal because they don't think... <laughs> sorry i had a frog in my throat it was a ball uh-huh. python um uh-huh. um yeah no it's this is this is that. a this is a tough topic i mean I'm, I'm sure there's gonna be some people that don't appreciate uh our perspective on this but uh, i that's really fine. don't and that's that you're right that is fine i actually i, I don't really care <laughs> because it needs to be understood that ball pythons will go through some very difficult feeding issues where uh, everything seems to be perfectly normal. Everything was fine. Uh, temperatures, humidity, everything's perfectly fine. And then they just go off of feet. And thousand gram keeper, wall. Yep. 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 It's a thing. And people, you know, new keepers freak out. They don't know what to do. People, that happens with rosy boas a lot too, actually, mm-hmm. uh, for people that don't know because they're getting ready to go into the, into the brumation cycle naturally, depending mm-hmm. on where they're at. Um, that's probably one of the more common things I tend to see even with rosies. I think rosies are a great beginner animal, maybe not great for a first timer. I'll 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 uh, I'll admit that. Uh, I've had a few people kind of message me private. They're like, "Oh, it's not a great first time pet," and I'm like, "Ah, well." I love them though. Anyway, so yeah, that there's that argument that are they a low maintenance animal? I think generally speaking, ball pythons are a low maintenance animal. Yeah, as far as the cleaning and the the care requirements, for sure. Yeah, they don't. They don't. They're they're pretty hardy. They they can they can deal with some pretty crazy extremes. If if somebody tends to neglect them a little bit, they're you know they're not going to be like dead the next day, kind of a thing. You know, sure. it's going to take a lot to 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 have a, a sick ball python um but uh yeah i yeah, think i mean i i think i think it's good if, if we get into into a list of what we think are, are low maintenance and and high maintenance animals if you want to start bringing up some species yeah we, so if if we're talking snakes if we wanted to kind of bulk out a handful of what's what's commonly uh available in the market and people want to uh, take this as like a, a roadmap of what they should look for. Um, I would say colubrids are typically the easiest to care for and, and most forgiving. Pythons and boas tend to have a little bit more space and humidity requirements, also slower digestive systems. So people tend to um, have a learning curve and a little bit of an obstacle they encounter in understanding that these animals don't necessarily need to eat every week. Whereas colubrids that have faster metabolisms, uh, more often than not, need to eat a little bit more frequently uh, in order to maintain their body mass or, or growth rate. Um, there are certain colubrids that need high humidity and lots of space, and they get big, and they're not beginners. Like if you're talking about dry marcon or patias or 
things like that mm, that have a tendency yeah. to bite first, ask questions later, and also yeah. you live in tropical you know environments. That's a little bit different. Um, but you know things like corn snakes, uh, gopher snakes, bull snakes, um, shoot rat snakes, hognose. Uh, a lot of things like that tend to be, you know, pretty, pretty forgiving of keeper error. And uh, although they are a little high metabolism, um, you know, they tend to be much more tolerant of day and night fluctuations and ambient temperature and humidity Definitely. fluctuations. You know, of course, there's always outliers and everything like this is not a black and white subject. This is a very gray area filled type of category. And then you start getting into pythons and boas and what people need to understand is there are pythons that are teeny tiny and there are also boas that are teeny tiny, but there are also some that get massive. So, um, size requirements and what you have room for is a big thing. Um, these animals tend to have slower digestive systems, tend to require higher humidity. Um, they're just not as, is like sensitive to visual cues, but they also um, are harder to read as a result because they don't give you a lot of behavioral feedback. They kind of sit there or they just, you know, thermoregulate, but you don't see much else otherwise. So they take a little bit more of a close study. Um, so they aren't quite as forgiving as things like a corn snake or a bull snake that experiences a huge temperature and humidity range that they can kind of take it and it's relatively natural um so you really for those animals you really well i'll back up and say for every reptile you need to before you acquire one you need to understand what their natural history entails as far as 100 percent where they come from the climate they experience what's normal for them and then kind of basic research yeah and then what you take those extremes and then you bring those parameters in a little bit and say this is what the acceptable range is everything on the extreme is probably something they can deal with in small bursts, but is an ideal and you shouldn't necessarily expose them to it unless it's like crucial for breeding X, Y, and Z. Like you shouldn't drop your brettles to 50 degrees every night, but in order to breed them, they, they need to get into the fifties. So things like that. Yeah. And there, that's where, you know, reading between the lines, not just taking everything as a, as a, an end all be all ultimate. This is what they need. Like you really need to pay attention. Um, Again, a little side note, this is where talking to people who have experience with these species, if you are truly interested in them, will really get you much further than any sort of uh, self-research you can do online or in a book. Not to discredit that at all, but, you know, yeah, for sure. if you can, if you're like gung-ho on a species, find the person who's that pioneer. Um, and then I would say probably the, like the the middle of the road level of uh, like maintenance would be certain species of boas and pythons, um, ball pythons, rainbow boas, uh, uh, carpet pythons, depending on, you know, the subspecies or, uh, or species you're talking about can kind of uh, go either way. They're, they're they're bulletproof. There's some species that are bulletproof. There's some colubers that are bulletproof. There's some boas that are as well. You start looking at that and some of the island species tend to deal with harsher climates. So they're a little more forgiving. Um, 
animals that deal with crazy extremes like brettles, pythons tend to be more forgiving. Uh, rosy boas that live in the desert get crazy highs and crazy lows and feast and famine plus horrible shelter. Like there's a lot of different species that deal with some absolutely horrendous natural mm-hmm. climates and, and they're yep. not necessarily hard to keep, but they're not easy to keep either. And, and ball pythons, because they like to go off food from time to time, they tend to get people around for their money and frustrate folks. Uh, rainbow boas, because they can be so fragile and, and susceptible to desiccation when they're younger, as far as humidity goes. Uh, they and tend- temperature. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. They don't like high heat. <laughs> they don't like dry temperature or dry humidity. So they'll, they'll throw some people off. Um, yeah. Leopard geckos seem to be regarded as pretty easy yet. Um, every once in a while, I run into folks that have, you know, shed issues yep. or metabolism, uh, metabolism issues with the leopard geckos. So it, you know, it leads me to believe that they're not completely, um, you know, forgiving of keeper air. There's just those species that are the, that's a uh, good point. I, Hey, you know, that, that brings up a good point for me with the leopard geckos. I, I was going to do a cool breeding project with a bunch of sun glows and giants and, and just because of my, I, I, you know, going back to knowing your limits, it they they weren't doing as well as I wanted them to, and I had to I had to sell sell the, all of my breeders because I was just like, you know what, I'm just I can't keep up with it. I I can't get in there enough to get them happy and to get them breeding. When I had them in my at my old house, that was fine. They were doing great there. Here, not so much. It's so, like again, environment changed um my t- my time frame my my availability of commitment changed so yeah they had to go you know they had to go are they con- considered low ish maintenance i think kind of yes sure but but, but you when you start family. adding on yeah. <laughs> other stuff yeah, then that's the other thing to consider with low maintenance yeah. and high maintenance you might have low maintenance animals but when you start adding quantity mm-hmm. to that, all of a sudden you be, you have a high maintenance collection. Yeah, I mean, I, no matter that's, what, that's why that's why my collection is dense but specific. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I only yeah. have animals that I feel like I have the time for, and that's mostly carpet pythons and a few other things. And you know, over the years, I've brought things in and moved them out as I've sort of figured out yeah this works or um maybe not or so no much. it doesn't yeah yeah and yeah. there's honestly that is the, a really hard pill to swallow for people because the biggest hurdle that comes with that is oh man i just brought this animal in x amount of time ago and i'm getting rid of it i feel like a terrible person no you would feel like a terrible person if you kept it neglected it, and it died and you didn't know about it for weeks yep. and then you're like oh crap i forgot i had this thing oh it's crusty in the bottom of it. you know like that's not good um trying it and being honest with yourself is probably the best course of action um that you can do but you know obviously do your research ahead of time and and kind of know what you're getting into if you've got somebody nearby yeah. you to coach you that's going to be your best bet and and in today's day and age with, you know, passive consumable, consumable, uh, (laughs) yeah, that was a fumble for sure. Passive consumable content left and right in all sorts of forms. You really, you really should feel confident knowing that, um, for most of what's available, you, you can kind of turn any which direction to get the, the help you need. Um, yeah. 
you know, certain animals get big, certain animals stay small. Both can be high maintenance, like tiny little animals are high maintenance because it's stressful and managing food is difficult. But big animals is also stressful because they require a lot of food and storage (laughs) and space and they make a lot of poops. Um, So there's, you know, there's a lot of it. And, And it's very different from the typical dog and cat pet style where it's like oh it's big it's small they have room in my my place or not and that's that um but these animals require little micro habitats so you really have to figure that out and you know i I can't tell you how many people hit me up for brazilian rainbow boas and and they're very concerned about the amount of work it's going to require for them to maintain the humidity and i'll tell them straight up i was like it's really not difficult if you have the right setup um and and that's that's it right there mm -hmm. and so it it comes down to that like ventilation uh what are you using for your heat source which is a whole another uh episode that we can get into on like heating elements um what's the caging like where is it located in your house is exposed to a fan or a heater or an air conditioning unit or direct sunlight through a window um you know how much airflow is in the room it's there there's a lot of different things and certain things are easy for some people and not for others just because of the space they use. I can't tell you how many people are, are big time breeders that, you know, know their stuff better than I do. Um, but you know, they can't keep a rainbow blow alive in their facility because it's too hot and too dry. And that's just that there's no shame in that. There's nothing wrong with that. It just is. My room's too hot. My room's too hot and my, my room is, is too dry. I cannot keep rainbows in my room. Yeah. It's just, it's just not going to happen. I have to find a different spot for them, you know? Yeah. It's that's, and that's, that's the reality that we have to acknowledge in order to uh, succeed in whatever it is we do want to try and pursue as far as our animals at home go. Um, even if it's just keeping a couple frogs alive and thriving it's it doesn't have anything to do specifically with breeding unless you take it to that level which is yeah. a whole nother layer of complication <laughs> i know right <laughs> yeah i mean i can't tell you how many quotes i've read it's like uh if you really love your animals the last thing you want to do is breed them it's because of all the biological complications that come with that and the cycling and the, the stress it puts on a, the body and i mean shoot i thought we would be able to cruise through all of this succinctly in one episode but it seems like we could really just you know dive into this left and right and and still touch on fantastic examples but um the last thing that you really need to consider is legality because yeah um big constrictors big constrictors have been a, a topic of much debate you know over the last few years with the lacy act being uh, improvised from fish and interstate transport to the large invasive constrictors that could potentially, um, you know, cause some environmental harm to certain areas and, and the, the regulation of interstate commerce and then the overturning of these regulations and this and that. Um, we're not going to get into the opinions of that, but ultimately the last thing you want to do is keep something that you're not allowed to and get in trouble for it and be yeah. that guy in the news. Exactly. Because that exactly. hurts everybody. And lawmakers, uh, people in, in uh, city council, public office, local office, federal office, 
they've got enough on their plate. And if some Joe Schmo winds up in a file on their desk and it's like, this guy had X reptiles, I don't care if it's venomous or not, and it got out and it freaked out the neighbors, it takes zero effort on their part to be like, okay, well, guess what? They're not allowed to keep those in that county. Boom, stamp that on the paper, move on to whatever else is on their desk. And they don't have to think about it. They don't owe you anything. Okay, as much as you want to think like, oh, they're good people. We voted them in office. No, 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 no. They do not care. That's not because they're inhuman, but it's because money talks and they have too many other big fish to fry. The last thing we want to do is be the thorn in their side. They're relying on us to be responsible citizens in their districts and their counties that can manage themselves like adults. Okay, so. I don't care what state you live in, whether venomous is illegal or not. There's a way to do it safely and responsibly. And I'm not going to split hairs with you right here because I love venomous. I love crocs. I love fish. I love frogs. I love all these things that depending on where you live are or are not detrimental or legal or whatever. But there's a way to do it and there's a way not to do it. Actually, there's a lot of ways not to do it. There's a lot of ways to do it as well. (laughs) There's a lot of ways not to do it. (laughs) But what you need to be honest with yourself is whether or not you have the ability to do it. Because the last thing you want to do is be the guy that ruins it for everyone else. Because all it takes is one. So. that Yeah. 100%. That was... I'm glad you touched on that for sure. It's it's a tough thing to say because we're all different That's a hot topic. It is, you know. I mean, everybody wants to keep what they want to keep, and every everybody yeah. wants to say, you know, we'll stay out of my business. Well, the thing is, is that when stuff gets into legislation, basically at that point, I mean, it's not too late. I don't want to sound, you know, too pessimistic, but I mean, if it's gotten to the point where they have actually written the bill and it's going into legislation, you are now officially you are fighting an uphill battle at that point with lawmakers, and more often than not, you're mm-hmm. going to lose. Now, thankful you know, for organizations like US ARC, you know, that you, everybody should be supporting US ARC in one way or another, uh, because they are battling those, those frontline topics. And mm-hmm. anytime that there's updates or that they want to make changes to these legislations like the Lacey Act or anything either on a, um, you know, at, on a, at the county level or the state level, I mean, they're going in there and they're mate, they're fighting for us mm-hmm. so that we can do things. But I mean, there's so many things that, that over just in the last 10 years has dramatically changed the landscape of the reptile hobby. Burmese pythons, reticulated pythons, you know, anacondas. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, those are just some of the prime mm-hmm. examples of now, you know, you can't have interstate commerce with Burmese pythons. Anything that you have in the state of California, I'm just using our state for, as an example. I mean, this right. that, we got what we got. And you're still going to have people that are going to be trying to, you know, sell them across state lines. And and if you get caught, you get caught. And if it makes it to the news, you know, then what? They're just going to come crashing down on, on regulations even more. Um, and that sucks for, every, like you just said, it sucks for everybody else involved, you know. And um, anyway, reeling us back to the high and low maintenance of animals. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we're hitting on about an hour right now, which yeah. is awesome. Um, man there's so many more things that we could talk about. And I mean, we can bring out so many different species and so many different types, you know, from frogs and lizards and snakes and turtles and tortoises. I mean, there's so many different ways to go about 
what what would be a great low maintenance animal and what would be a great high maintenance animal i mean there's so many things where that we could talk about i'm kind of i'm almost thinking that it's like this is a series just in and of itself man <laughs> yeah we're a broken record everything we talk about seems to become a series which is good it's I know, good i love I know. it i'm there's happy so much to talk about yeah i'm happy about that because i feel like uh that means we're on a good track of like something that we're putting out could be elaborated upon to benefit somebody. So like, let's just spitball for 30 seconds here. If you're listening to this episode and you're on the fence about getting a reptile or not, because you've heard everything across the spectrum, I hope this gives you insight into how to direct your research. Because if you thought, Oh, it's just a reptile you put in the tank, you give it water, you throw crickets, that's good. You're, sorely mistaken and i hope you've heard this and it wakes you up if you're thinking reptiles are super complicated i can never get into them i hope you hear this and and are filled with confidence and that there is an animal out there for you if you're just absolutely dead set on having a frog or a snake or a lizard or a tortoise there is something out there that can fit your lifestyle you just might have to spend a little bit of extra time figuring out how much time can you realistically allot how much money, how much space, um, how much time, like all of these things. And it's really not that complicated, but at the same time, it can be very complicated. You just have to be honest with yourself. And the next best thing you can do is have somebody there to help kind of coach you along the way. Um, as far as, you know, making sure you make the right decision when it comes time, because it's hard to throw money at something, not knowing whether or not it's going to work or not. So the more you can do to bolster some confidence in your your end of the ring is is always beneficial um for you and the animal so and then you might find out that uh there's an even better source for what you might be considering instead of going on some wholesaler supply thing that may or may not be ethical or not um you might find that there's somebody local to you who has exactly what you want and instead of having to deal with overnight shipping, you can drive 30 minutes down the road and go see them and they'll coach you through everything and even give you like fruit flies or bedding or <laughs> yeah. water bowls. You know what I mean? Like you just never know. Yeah. You really can't assume that the best thing to do is just wing it online by yourself. Never fly blindly. There's always people in this community willing to help you out. Yeah. You touched on exactly one thing that I, that I wanted to mention is that, you know, try to find a local resource first if you can and and one of the best ways to do that is see if there is a, a local herpetological society that's available to you uh and if there is go to the meetings go mm-hmm. check them out go meet some people and go find out because these are people that are keeping reptiles in the same or in the similar environment that you have so if you have a question or if you have a specific animal that you're after chances are somebody else around you probably has it too right and start asking start meeting people and start figuring out how they do it and if they're successful or if they're not what are their challenges what are their successes and learn about learn on the on those people's wisdoms you know if if, if i've done something and i've failed i want to share that failure with you because i don't want you to have to go through that failure and so um you know you may may or may not find people that are willing to share that stuff with you right right away but if, when you get to know keepers over time they're going to be sharing a lot of information, a lot of wisdom, and you just have to be willing to accept that. Um, and I find that a herp society uh, is a great place to to meet like-minded people and just share that information with each other and, and get that opportunity to um, 
probably find the animal that you want. And if not, at least they might be able to, to direct you in, in the right place. Now, you know, it goes without saying also, because we are putting ourselves out there, both Riley and I, if you want to message us, you know, feel free to message us um, and ask us if you, if you don't feel comfortable on some of the other online forums, either on Facebook or on Instagram, those are our two primary platforms. But um, if you're not feeling comfortable asking somebody randomly and you feel comfortable asking us, ask us. And if we don't know the answer, um, then we're going to try to find somebody that does know the answer. We're bound to know somebody uh, in this community that knows the answer to, to your questions. So, um, yeah, anyway, I just wanted to make sure that people feel comfortable that if there's topics or something that we could, that we talk about and, and, and you want to, you know, if, if you're more curious, especially for the newer keepers that, you know, I, I, I don't like to think of myself as an advanced keeper, but uh, I know plenty of, of advanced keepers that if I have questions or if I need something answered, you know, I'm able to go to them and they can, they can answer that. And um, so anyway, yeah, throwing that out there for anybody that needs, that needs help. Yeah. We're there for you. Absolutely. There's enough resources out there to, to make sure everybody has success regardless of the, uh, the avenue you're trying. Ultimately, um, uh, the health of your animals and the success in whatever it is you're trying to do is important. And even if it's just keeping a plant or a frog or a turtle, um, that, that animal's life does matter and it is worth putting the effort in, even if it's like a $20 turtle and you've got a $500 vet bill, it is worth it. Um, yeah. But you know, what it really comes down to is your sanity is important. And if you're going to have reptiles and you are going to try this, don't ever feel like you're flying blind. We're in a world of unlimited information in your pocket. And like Andy said, at the very least, you can message either him or myself. And we've got resources, you know, flowing out of our pockets as far as people we've met over the decades and where we can steer you. And at the very least, we can tell you we don't know and yeah. and help you sort of figure that out so um there's there's a lot to uh to be excited about and it's an exciting thing to get into so don't ever feel like uh it's not worth diving into because it is really cool so um but we are we're tipping the scales beyond sort of uh this range we're looking for and we've got we've got some stuff coming up in the future man um yeah we're exciting we're, yeah spring is spring is here uh you know it's almost egg laying season a couple months out of here it'll be baby hatching season and uh as far as our our personal projects go we're we're hitting the next big exciting milestone and and we'll get into that in, in future episodes as we're getting closer but for me, and I don't, I don't want to speak preemptively because I don't want to like jinx it or anything like that. But I, I'm each day goes by, I have more and more confidence that uh, I think we can figure this out and and bring uh, our first guest on. Uh, yeah, definitely soon, very soon. And if if you've listened to the the first couple episodes, you at least the the promo and everything, you probably know who that is. If you've listened to, um, and I, I might regret even uh mentioning it again because i don't remember it is the uh the episode we did with <laughs> joe felon from 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 the ground up and and he oh, was gracious he was gracious enough to bring us on without uh, with 
without Melissa there to keep us on track. And, and I don't think either you, myself or Joe remember what happened. Um, uh, very little of it yeah <laughs> and every but, time we mention it i'm thinking that we keep promoting people to go and listen to it and maybe we don't want people to do that <laughs> I, I know i personally listened to a little bit of it and then had to turn it off because i it was anyway um we we do have the ability to bring guests on for those of you who are like man we're five episodes in and we're just listening to these monkeys knuckle across a keyboard for a while um yep you have sorry yep um, but we, we do plan on, uh, bringing some, some folks on, um, I don't know. I don't want to like, I don't want to downplay it. I also don't want to jump too far ahead. Like having guests on is fantastic, but I feel like our flavor is our flavor and it's just going to be what it is. And if you're here listening to yeah. it and you enjoy it, then, you know, we're, we're really happy to have you here. And if you're sitting here itching for more, send us an email. Let us know. You can hit us up at reptileroompodcast at gmail.com. Um, we have uh, we have Instagram. We have Facebook. Just look up Reptile Room Podcast. You can leave us a review on iTunes, but I'm going to caution you. If you leave us anything less than a five star, you're, you're going to learn why the Irish mob was a big fan of kneecapping. Um, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. We will find you. I'm just kidding. I like honest feedback. Just don't do it in a permanent way. No, I'm just, I'm, I'm kidding yeah. again. Um, sort of. But uh, no, we really do want to we'll put out stuff for you guys. So um, we are super, super open to uh, emails and suggestions. We have uh, on our website at reptileroompodcast.com. We have a, uh, a full uh, like topic and guest suggestion form that when you send it to us, it actually gets sent right to this, uh, uh, the spreadsheet of ours that we sort of, uh, keep track of, of who said, you know, who and who should come on and what they'd like to hear and topics and this and that. So we can keep track of this. And, uh, for everybody sitting here going like, man, I sent them an email months ago about who to bring on and this and that. Don't worry, we haven't forgotten. We have it written down, and we are uh, making making plans to make it happen because uh, there's no such thing as a bad suggestion thus far. So it will happen, and uh, I don't want to, like, jinx it, but um, I really, really do want to make uh, our first guest episode, and I don't know what timeline it is, but Dan Maleri has... Uh, has been gracious enough to spend time with other podcasters and shows. And uh, I've developed a, a rapport with him over the few years, buying animals from him, um, communicating with him. And uh, he, he said he would be happy to come on. Uh, so without sort of like overdoing the preemptive stuff, everyone can look forward to uh, a Dan Maleri episode sort of kicking off having a uh, guest on here and then from then on it'll be smooth sailing there will be back and forth between andy and i just hanging out and guests on as well and we'll hopefully get to a nice balance so for everybody who's sitting here sticking with us we appreciate it we are going to have guests on soon absolutely yeah we appreciate it well that was a great episode actually man yeah i'm that digging was fun. it yeah it's uh i hate to i hate to you know potentially make you feel like i'm putting you on blast but this the show is not the same without you on here, dude. It really isn't. No, I appreciate that, dude. No, you're not putting me on blast. It's all good, man. Yeah. I, I just uh, 
I'm just glad you were able to hold it down and, and, and put an episode out. I mean, the last, you know, the last week was nutty and then having to, you know, you're going to Florida and, and like just all of the alignment didn't mm-hmm. align. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, Oh my God, life is nuts. Yeah. But, uh, but you know what though? I still, I think it was a really important episode and, and it was informative and it's going to be something that people can reference. I still, I guess I have to fix the audio stuff, but we'll, we'll get there, man. So yeah, if everybody um, here is listening and, and they've experienced the same audio troubles, you're not alone. And, uh, chances are we'll probably, once we figure it out is re-upload those. Um, yep. With, yeah. With, we're going to fix it and, and re-upload for yeah, sure. Right? With, with to, adequate audio. It's not, we don't care about, you know, losing statistics or whatever it is or it is. We want y'all to have the, the content that's worth listening to. Um, yep. So that is a priority for us. And, uh, uh yeah, I'm, I'm glad I came back from Florida with, uh, all 10 of my fingers and, and no, <laughs> and, and no trips to the hospital. Um, yeah, uh, jumping on gators and, and playing with venomous snakes is, is no joke. So, um, but you know, it looked like an awesome trip. It was super envious, it super was. envious. It was, man, it was a trip of a lifetime and I hope to have plenty more. So. Well, you got more coming up, don't you? Yeah, man. I'm shoot. I'm uh, going to Australia in one month. What? One month from tomorrow, I board a plane out of SFO. Uh, it's fifteen and a half hours to Oz, and then four hours across continent, a couple hours here, and yeah, man, it's like a full day of travel. And uh, it'll be myself. Uh, Eric Burke and Rob Stone. We're going to WA, gonna hit Perth, and and Rob is uh, the master of ceremonies as far as it goes for uh, planning a trip like this. He's got the complete itinerary and all these different trailheads that we're gonna hit and target species based on where we're at and the time of year and other folks oh, who man. have found them in that same area different times of year. And he's already got the Airbnb planned out so we don't ever have to backtrack more than seems efficient. And it's going to be very strategically planned out to the best uh, odds of success that we can. We're going for Womas, um, uh, Stimson's Pythons, and uh, Southwest Carpets in Bricada. And then there are also lots of uh, dwarf monitors, some knobtail geckos, and uh, a couple dozen various uh, elapids and venomous snakes. So, uh, we should have quite uh, quite a plethora of, of animal experiences in, in her heaven out there. So you can you can definitely count on a follow up episode on NPR about Absolutely. that. Plus here, plus photos. Like it's gonna be the trip of a lifetime. So we'll talk plenty about it. Yeah, definitely. I, you know what? I think we should just get them on. We should. We should just. We should just. Yeah. Yeah. Get them fun. on and and have a have an update on the trip and yeah that'll be that'll be an amazing thing to just start sharing sharing pictures of the trip i'm jealous as heck man that's that oh yeah. sounds like an amazing trip i mean after they found owen pelly last year and i was i, I was right. i was invited on that trip dude oh that's the worst part about it they're like dude you should come you need to come it's feasible you should come you should come we can handle the fifth person you should come it'll help break up the airbnb and driving costs you should come you should come and i was like well, i don't know and then i it i should have i really yep. should have could have so. would have should have man that's the that's the spice of life it seems like sometimes you know you look back and and um 
you know, there's going to be times where, I, you know, the, the dad, the dad in me is coming out where you go, you know, man, I really should have done that. Mm-hmm. You want to try to minimize as many of those things in your life. So later on you can go, I'm glad I did that. Yep. I'm glad I went and yep. did this. So yeah, no, I'm, I'm proud of you on it to, to set that money aside, make it happen. That that's the time to do it right now. This is a perfect opportunity in your life to be able to, you know, take care of those, those goals. And uh, yeah, I hope it happens. I hope you're able, guys are able to find everything. It'll be, it'll be a ton of fun and it'll, uh, it'll probably put into perspective, like, you know, do I really want to have a hundred and stakes in this room or do I want to have like 30 and then the time and budget to go travel to Australia every so often. So yeah, I, yeah. I should have traveled when I was younger a lot more. I did get over to Europe a few times, but I didn't like study abroad or anything like that. I should have done more, but I also didn't have the reptile uh, enthusiasm like quite as entrenched in me as I did then as I do now. Right. Yeah. Um, so it's much more meaningful now. Um, yet like my trips to Costa Rica when I was, you know, eight and 10 years old, catching iguanas and seeing sloths and seeing toads and things, it was tons of fun. But like, if I'd have done it now, I'd be doing even more and appreciate it more. But I, you know, you know what I mean? It's just one of those things. Yeah. Like you really should, you really got to get out into the natural world to understand it and appreciate your life. So, um, definitely, but we could, we could ramble on, on this all, all <laughs> night. Um, <laughs> I'm gonna, that's what happens when we don't talk for a while i know which is good though it makes for like a really good show but uh yeah i i don't have any i don't have any shows coming up um for me i mean i know the next uh pomona show and san diego show will be middle of the year but i'm not even thinking about that because there's carpet fest coming up in the middle of june and uh i'm already like taking a bunch of time off so i'm not really thinking about time off beyond australia and uh yeah babies are coming whenever they do whether it's they show up or they don't um who the heck knows (laughs) yeah exactly that's it you just got to manage it all just throw it up on the calendar and say i'll figure it out yeah that's life man yeah that's where i'm at right now i know i'm gonna have a a litter of rainbows this year so you know there's a couple dozen babies right there and uh maybe one or two clutches of carpet so nothing nothing too unmanageable but it still takes preparation so yeah exactly yep yeah what about you so for me um rosie's for sure um the females are looking definitely nice and primed i was just doing a checkup on them uh today and everybody's looking good there the the colubrids that i'm breeding are going to be florida kings and the kankakee bulls they're ready to go uh, so it's time to start feeding them up and then pairing them up soon. Uh, carpets. I don't know if that's going to happen or not. Um, uh, we'll see. We'll see. Uh, just, the, I don't, I don't know. I just like the males that I've got. Just, I, I don't know if I'm just not doing something right or what's going on, but I'm still going to give my younger males another try. Um, I decided to keep feeding them through, um, the females haven't eaten, but, uh, I've been feeding the males up. So seeing if seeing if that'll work or not um but i only have three males but they're young mm-hmm. they can do it if they decide sure. that they're not going to be too scared of the female so i'm hoping that that'll work yeah um, comes down to the individual at that point yeah yep so i mean I, i've got to figure out i've got to figure out okay what is it that i'm doing they're just didn't when when i paired them up you know what was it like last month or a month and a half ago and 
we were starting to see some of the storms coming through. I mean, there was like no interest. Mm. There was some cuddling happened with the coastals. I'm kind of hoping that maybe that happened, that something's going to happen there. But at the same time, I'm like, eh, whatever, you know, if it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, it doesn't, I'm not going to stress about it. That's the one thing I don't want to do. It's like, like last couple of years, I was like, you know, so stressed about making it work. I'm like, you know what? That's, that's not the right perspective to have. So, um, but yeah, so Ro- Rosie's in the Colubrids for sure. I'm thinking that's going to happen. Um, I'm going to be bringing them out brumation uh, this week, and then uh, yeah, start feeding them up and then start pairing them up. So and then we're going to. I think we should probably do a Rosie breeding. I mean, I know that that was a couple of people mentioned. Um, but I'm tr- I'd like if there's somebody out there that wants to come on that's a Rosie breeder. Uh, I'd love to have somebody else on oh, with yeah. talking about no, the breeding we need season, to. you know, we need to for sure. Yeah. Like I don't, I don't keep or breed roses and that's a topic that I really, really want to hear about. Like I would love yeah. to have one or two episodes on that just because I've worked with them. I've seen the locality variety. I've seen how cool they are. Like that needs to happen. And I've seen the emails yeah. coming in from folks that want shows on that. So if you are listening yep. to this, and you are too humble to go out there and say, I've been breeding rosies for 20 years. Just send us a little message to say, I keep a couple of rosies, you know, a couple, couple dozen. I've been doing it for a couple of years, you know, 30 years, you know, whatever it is. <laughs> please, please, please. We will, we will, we will keep your humility uh, intact and we just want to hear from you for sure. Yeah, definitely. So. Um, I have a, I mean, I have you know, a few friends in mind that I'd like to ask and see if they'd be up for doing it. Um, I don't know. Maybe, maybe all us rosy guys tend to be a bunch of recluses. I'm not sure. Wow, <laughs> but, we're gonna pry you uh, out of your holes. Yeah, right. Exactly. We're gonna pry us out of the cracks in the in the mm-hmm. in the rocks. Mm-hmm. Um, but but anyway, yeah, man. So that's pretty much it. So um, yeah. So where can yeah. where can people uh, where can people find you if they want to look up your individual stuff? Yeah, so you can find me on Instagram at Area Reptiles and also on Facebook at Andy Ray Reptiles. And um, those are the two primary things. I honestly lately have not been on social media much. Uh, life has just been a little bit hectic with these new classes I'm taking. And so my, my mind can only manage so much at a time and also trying to raise kids and, and keep a wife happy. So um, you won't find me on social media much, you know, the last few weeks. Uh, but, uh, you know, when I'm trying to promote the the podcast or when things come up, like I haven't even taken pictures of animals in, in a few weeks, which is weird. I'm normally in here all the time taking pictures. So, um, but don't, don't be discouraged, uh, you know, to send me a message, go ahead and send me a message. I'll, I'll, I'll definitely see the, those things, uh, and I'll respond. Um, but, uh, but yeah, that's, that's where folks can find me right now. Cool. Cool. Yeah. And for me, it's, uh, just Riley's reptiles on Instagram and Facebook, uh, Riley Jimison on YouTube. And then as far as, uh, the podcast goes, you can find us under reptile room podcast on, uh, all your favorite, uh, podcast apps, platforms, whatever it may be reptile room podcast at gmail.com reptile room podcast.com. Um, please just, you know, plug it, look it up, check it out. Let us know yeah. what you want to hear. Share it. Yeah, please, please, please. The, the time is now. Like there's a ton of uh, limitless potential for uh, passive consumable content like this. And uh, 
you know, we want to fill your airwaves with what you want to hear. So, uh, you know, help us help you and, and we'll, we'll do our best, but we're really enjoying this. This is episode five of, uh, the reptile room podcast. This was, you know, the first dive into high versus low maintenance animals. And I'm sure it won't be the last time we hit this, this topic up. And, uh, we've got, a, we've got a lot more to offer, a lot more to cover, uh, pretty much endless amount of content to cover. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. we're really, really enjoying this. So, um, for everyone who has, uh, you know, supported us along thus far, uh, keep your ears peeled. Uh, I do plan on coming up with a, a nice, uh, simple logo to start throwing some merch out there soon. So y'all heard it first right here. Uh, I owe you in, in that regard. So we'll get it going sooner or later. Uh, but you know, it is what it is. We're getting there and we appreciate everybody who's, who's been with us this far and who's coming up in the future. And yeah, we'll, we'll catch you, uh, catch you soon. This is what, February 26th we decided. Yep. February 26th. And then, uh, yeah. Yeah, we'll see you all in March. March. Yeah, right before I take yep. off for Australia. We'll see you again. Definitely. All right, everybody. Have a great day, great morning, night, afternoon, whenever you're listening. Thank you so much again for listening to the Reptile Room Podcast. Cheers. Cheers.